Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello everyone, I'm Julie, and here we are with episode 259 of Forgotten Classics, More of the People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard. And things are heating up, everyone, not just because it's summer, but because, oh my word, are Leonard and Juana in a world of trouble. Oh, also everyone else, Otter, Francisco, etc. But we will get to that in a minute. First, let's have the podcast highlight. Believe it or not, I actually have a new podcast for you to listen to. It's from the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast family, and it's called Clever Cookster. Essentially, the host, Kara Rota, will contact the world's best chefs, they say... I suspect what this really means is the chefs with new cookbooks out, but essentially to get tips for how to make a great fruit pie, how to have an easy Greek meal that you can do for summertime on your grill, how to make the best ice cream sandwich ever, which I didn't listen to because I honestly don't care about that, but how to make Chinese takeout at home the best cheese plate ever, that sort of thing. And I have to say, I do enough cooking and have over the years and read enough about cooking that I started listening to these thinking, oh, I'm going to know all this stuff already. But they worked on two levels. One was that sometimes there'd be little tips that I hadn't thought of. For instance, in how to think about putting together cheese plates, which I admit is not something I do very often there were some really interesting tips that just made me think about it a different way. And then on, for instance, the three easy Greek dishes, I was not necessarily that interested in some of the Greek stuff, but what it did is it made me inspired to kind of look in a different direction for grilling ideas. Kind of breaks me out of that mold. So it's both inspirational and informative. They're only, oh, you know, like most of the quick and easy tips podcasts, they're only about four to eight minutes long and pretty thorough. And if you like this format and you haven't tried the quick and easy tips podcast before, I have highlighted various ones at different times in the past. You know, the dog trainer one is good. The meeting person is good. Or is it presentation person? You can see I don't listen to these often. The Einstein person about science is good. Kind of what I do, except for the one or two I'm subscribed to, like the Nutrition Diva, I will go through just every so often, once a month, once every couple months, and look at the old episodes and download ones, you know, from that time period that I'm interested in. I don't always love everything all these people talk about, but there's a lot of good information in there. So you might want to just swing by the regular overall podcast site, and I'll put links to both that and The Clever Cookster. Now, let's get back to Africa, to the great peril of Juana and Otter, as they have been pretending to be gods, and Soa has spilled it, ah, to her father, the high priest. Oh, Soa, Soa, Soa. I wish you'd proven us wrong in not trusting you, but too bad. So now we head to the showdown, where everyone has to go and see what the people of the mist say. 
And I'm here to tell you, having read it already, so that we could listen to it, this is really great. It is a dueling of wits that I did not expect. So let's dive in, and I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 28 Juana prevaricates. The morrow drew towards its evening. Like those that had gone before it, this day had been misty and miserable, only distinguished from its predecessors by the fall of some sharp showers of sleet. Now, as the afternoon waned, the sky began to clear in its accustomed fashion, but the bitter wind sweeping down the mountains, though it drove away the fog, gave no promise of any break in the weather. At sunset, Leonard went to the palace gates and looked toward the temple, about the walls of which a number of people were already gathering, as though in anticipation of some great event. They caught sight of him and drew as near to the gates of the palace as they dared, howling curses and shaking their fists. "'This is a foretaste of what we must expect tonight, I suppose,' said Leonard to Francisco, who had followed him as they retreated across the courtyard. "'We are in trouble now, friend. I do not care so much for my own sake, but it breaks my heart to think of Juana. What will be the end of it, I wonder?' "'For me, Outram, the end will be death. Of that I am sure. Well, I have long expected it, and I am ready to die. What your fate will be I cannot say.' But as to the Signora, comfort yourself. For many weeks I have had a presentiment that she will escape safely. In that case I am ready enough to go, answered Leonard. Life is as dear to me as to other men, but I tell you, Francisco, that I would pay mine down gladly tonight as the price of her deliverance. I know it, Outram. We are of one mind there, and perhaps before many hours are over we shall be called upon to practice what we preach. By now they had reached the throne-room, where Otter, who for the last twenty hours had been quite sober, was squatted on the floor at the foot of his throne, a picture of repentant misery, while Juana walked swiftly up and down the long room lost in reflection. "'Any news, Leonard?' she said as they came in. "'None, except that there are great preparations going on yonder,' and he nodded toward the temple. "'Also a mob is howling at the gates.' "'Oh!' groaned Otter, addressing Juana. "'Cannot you, who are named shepherdess of the heavens, "'prophesy to these people that the weather will break "'and so save us from the snake?' "'I can prophesy,' she answered. "'But it will not change to-night, nor, I think, to-morrow. "'However, I will try.' "'There came a silence. "'Nobody seemed to have anything to say.' It was broken by the entrance of Ulfan, whose face showed the disturbance of his mind. "'What passes, Ulfan?' asked Juana. "'Queen,' he answered sadly, "'there is great trouble at hand. The people rave for the blood of you, their gods. Nam told you that ye are summoned this night to confer with the people. Alas, I must tell you otherwise. This night ye will be put upon your trial before the Council of Elders.' That we guessed, Ulfan, and if the verdict goes against us, what then? 
Alas, that I must say it. Then, queen, you will be hurled, all of you, into the pool of the snake to be food for the snake. Cannot you protect us, Ulfan? I cannot, O queen, except with my own life. The soldiers are under my command, indeed, but in this matter they will not obey me, for the priests have whispered in their ears, and if the sun does not shine, they too must starve next winter. Pardon me, queen. But if you are gods, how is it that you need help from me who is but a man? Cannot the gods then protect themselves and be avenged upon their enemies? Juana looked despairingly at Leonard, who sat by her side, pulling at his beard as was his fashion when perplexed. I think that you had better tell him, he said in English. Our situation is desperate. Probably in a few hours he will know us to be impostors. Indeed, he guesses it already. It is better that he should learn the truth from our own lips. The man is honest. Moreover, he owes his life to us, though it is true that were it not for us, he would never have been in danger of his life. Now we must trust him and take our chance. If we make a mistake, it does not greatly matter. We have made so many already. Juana bowed her head and thought a while. Then she lifted it and spoke. Ulfan, she said, are we alone? That which I have to say must be overheard by none. We are alone, queen, he answered, glancing round. But these walls have ears. Ulfan, draw near. He obeyed, and leaning forward, she spoke to him almost in a whisper, while the others clustered round to hear her words. You must call me queen no more, she said in a voice broken with humiliation. I am no goddess. I am but a mortal woman, and this man, she pointed to Otter, is no god. He is only a black dwarf. She paused, watching the effect of her words. An expression of astonishment swept across the king's face, but it was her boldness rather than the purport of her speech that caused it. Then he smiled. Perhaps I have guessed as much, he answered, and yet I must still call you by that name seeing that you are the queen of all women, for say, where is there another so lovely, so brave, or so great? Here at least there are none. And he bowed before her with a stately courtesy that would have become any European gentleman. Now it was Leonard's turn to look astonished. There was nothing in the king's words to which he could take objection, and yet he did not like their tone. It was too full of admiration— Moreover, it seemed to him that Ulfan was not in the least disappointed to discover as a fact that Juana was only a woman, a supposition which was fully established by his next speech. I am glad to learn from your own lips, queen, that you are no goddess but a mortal lady. Seeing that goddesses are far away and we men must worship them from afar, whereas women we may love. And again he bowed. My word! said Leonard to himself. This king is setting himself up as my rival. I almost wish I had put things on a more satisfactory footing. But, but of course, it is absurd. Poor Juana. As for Juana herself, she started and blushed. Here was a new trouble. But however disagreeable it might prove to be, now was no time to show displeasure. Listen, Olfan, she said. 
This is not an hour for pretty speeches which mean nothing, for it seems that before the light dawns again I may well be dead, and far beyond all love and worship. This is our tale. We came to your land to seek adventures, and also to win those red stones that you name the blood of Akka, which among the white people are much prized as ornaments for their women. That is why I, who am a woman, urged the deliverer to undertake this journey, and it is because of my folly that we now stand in danger of our lives. Your pardon, queen, said Olfan bluntly, but I would ask you one question before you tell me the end of your tale. What is this white man to you? Now Juana was in a cleft stick. If she said that Leonard was nothing to her, it might possibly be better for him, though it was doubtful whether Olfan would believe her. If, on the other hand, she said that he was her husband, it might be better for herself and protect her from the advances of this dignified savage, but against this course her pride revolted. Had she not always indignantly repudiated the validity of that hateful marriage, and though she loved him? Were not she and Leonard, in a sense, at daggers drawn? Still, she must decide, and quickly. Her common sense told her that under the circumstances it was her pride which must give way. He is my husband, she said boldly. Olfan's face fell. Then a look of doubt came into it, for Juana's mode of life, every detail which was known to him, seemed to contradict her statement. Seeing that he did not believe her, Juana plunged still deeper into the mire. He is my husband, she said again. This man, and she pointed to Francisco, who is a priest among us, married us according to our customs some six moons since, and Otter yonder was witness to the marriage. Is this so? asked Olfan. It is so, king, replied Francisco. I married them, and they are man and wife. Yes, yes, it is so, put in Otter, for I saw it done, and we celebrated a great sacrifice in honor of that wedding feast. I would that we could have such another here to-night. Fear not, dwarf, answered Olfan with a touch of irritation. You will see enough of sacrifices before all is ended. Then a new thought struck him, and he added, You say that the Deliverer is your husband, Queen, and these men bear witness to it, all except your lord himself. Now tell me one thing more. Do you love him, and would you be sorry if he died? Juana's brow burnt red as the ruby stone upon it, for with the exception of her black robe she was prepared to proceed to the temple. But there was no help for it now. She must speak clearly, however much it shamed her to do so, lest Olfan might take her silence as a hint, and the husband for whom she disavowed affection should be removed from her life forever. You have little right to put such a question to me, king. Yet I will answer it. I love him, and if he died I should die also. Leonard suppressed an exclamation with difficulty, for here was Juana appearing in a new light indeed. I am answered, queen, said Olfan in tones of deep depression. <sighs> now, if it pleases you, will you end your tale? There is not much to tell, replied Juana, heaving a sigh of relief, 
for this cross-examination as to her exact relations with Leonard had been somewhat trying. The woman Soa, my servant, is of your people. Indeed, she is a daughter to Nam the priest, and fled the land forty years ago because she was destined to the snake. Where is she now? interrupted Olfan, looking round. We do not know. Last night she vanished as our other servants have vanished. Perhaps Nam knows, and if so, you may see her again soon. Proceed, Queen. After the Deliverer and I were married, Soa, who had been my nurse for many years, told us of the great people, her brethren, among whom she wished to die. May her desire be gratified, put in Otter, and said that if we would escort her thither, we could buy many such stones as that upon my brow, which she had brought with her from this country and given to me. Then it was that I, desiring the playthings, tormented my husband till he consented to lead me thither, though his own heart spoke against it. So we came, and the journey was long and terrible, but at last we reached the cliff yonder, which borders the land of the mist, and it was then for the first time, when it was too late to go back, that Soa told us the tale of the gods of your people— and showed us that either we must do sacrilege and feign to be those gods come back, as the prophecy promised, or perish miserably. Indeed, this was her plot, to set up false gods over you, having first told the secret to the priests, that she might gain honor with them and save herself alive. And now, Olfan, that is all the tale. We have played the game, and we have lost, or so it seems. That is... "'unless you help us.' "'And she clasped her hands and looked upon him pleadingly. "'The king dropped his eyes as though he were not willing to contemplate "'the loveliness which, as he now learned, "'belonged to the white stranger at Juana's side. "'Have I not said that my power is little, queen?' "'He answered somewhat sullenly. "'Also, why should I help those who came to this land to trick us?' and who have brought the anger of the gods upon its children. Because we saved your life, Olfan, and you swore to be loyal to us. Had it not been for you, queen, my life would not have been in danger. Moreover, I swore fealty to gods, and now the gods are mortals, upon whom the true gods will be avenged. Why, then, should I help you? Because we have been friends, Olfan, you shall help us for my sake. For your sake, queen, he said bitterly. For your sake, who tell me that you are this man's wife and that you love him to the death. Nay, this is much to ask. Had it been otherwise, had you been unwed and willing to look upon me, the king of this land, with favor, then doubtless I had died for your sake if there were need. But now... Have you then no better reasons to show why I should risk my life for you and for these men? I have two more reasons, king, and if they are not enough, then leave us to our fate, and let us, who must prepare to die, waste no more breath in words. The first is that we are your friends and have trusted you, saving your life at the danger of our own and telling you this tale of our own free will. Therefore, in the name of friendship, which you should hold sacred, who are no common man but a king, we demand your help. 
we who have put our lives in the hollow of your hand, knowing that you are of noble mind and will not betray us. The second is that our interest is your interest. We strive against Nam and the priests, and so do you. If Nam conquers us today, tomorrow it will be your turn, and the snake whose fangs we must feel shall in days to come feed upon you also. Now is the hour of destiny for you and your descendants. Cling to us and break the yoke of Nam and the priests, or desert us and bind that yoke upon your shoulders to your doom. I have spoken. Choose. Ulfan thought a while and answered, Truly your mind is great, queen, and sees far into the darkness of things such as our women have no knowledge of. You should have ruled this country and not I. For then by now Nam, who is my master, would have begged his daily bread at the gates of your palace, and the priests his servants had become hewers of your wood and drawers of your water. But I will not talk to you of policy, for time is short. Nay, I will deal with your first reason, and that alone. You have conjured me in the name of friendship and of my oath, and by the memory of service done and not in vain. I am a man different from that race of men who you are, a wild chief of a wild tribe, having little wisdom, yet I have learned these things, never to break a promise, never to desert a friend, and never to forget a service. Therefore, because I swore fealty to you, because you are my friend, and because you saved my life, I will protect you to the last, though it may well chance that I can do nothing except die for you. For, Queen, although you can be naught to me while yonder man lives, still I am ready to give my life for you. As for the others, I will say this only. I will not harm them or betray them. Now I go to speak with certain of the great men who are friends to me and hate the priest so that when this matter comes on for judgment, they may lift up their voices in your favor, for nothing can be done except by policy. That is not now. Shortly I will return to lead you to the temple. Till then, farewell. And he bowed and was gone. When the curtain had swung to behind Ulfan, Juana sank back in her chair and sighed, but Leonard sprang up and said, Juana, that savage is right. You should have been a queen. I know what it must have cost you to say what you did. Pray, to what do you refer, Leonard? She said, interrupting him coldly. I mean about our being married and the rest. Oh, yes, well, you see, it is sometimes necessary to tell white lies, and I think that after tonight I am entitled to a prize for general proficiency in this respect. Of course, she added, dropping her sarcastic tone, you will not misinterpret anything that I was forced to say to Ulfan with reference to yourself, <laughs> because you know that those statements were the biggest fibs of all. Just then, had it been needful, I should have been prepared to swear that I was married to Otter and deeply attached to him, or even to the king himself, who, by the way, strikes me as the most satisfactory savage that I have ever come across. In short, as a gentleman. Leonard turned pale with anger. Really, Juana, he said, I think that you might wait until I seek to take some advantage of our friendship and accidental relations before you rebuke me as you see fit to do. It is little short of an insult, 
and were we in any civilized country, I would never speak to you again. Don't get angry, Leonard, she said appealingly, for Juana seemed to have every mood at her command, and ready to be assumed at a moment's notice. Perhaps this gift was one of the secrets of her charm, since monotony is a thing to be avoided by women who seek to rule, even the monotony of sweetness. It is very unkind of you, she went on, to speak crossly with me when I am so tired with talking to that savage, and we may all be dead and buried in a few hours. And she looked as though she were going to cry. Leonard collapsed instantly, for Juana's plaintive mood was the one he could resist the least of any. You would make me angry if I were on my deathbed, he said, that is, when you talk like that. <sighs> but there it is, I cannot change you, so let us change the subject. Have you any of that poison to spare? If so, you might serve us out a little. We may want it before the evening is over. Juana put her hand to her hair, and after some manipulation produced a tiny skin bag, from which she extracted a brown ball about the size of a rifle bullet. I can afford to be generous, she said with a little laugh. There is enough here to kill twenty of us. Then Leonard took a knife and chipped off three fragments from the ball, taking one himself and presenting the other two to Francisco and Otter. The priest received it doubtfully, but the dwarf would have none of it. Keep it for yourself, Bas, he said. Keep it for yourself. Whatever way I die, it shall not be thus. I do not love a medicine that causes men to tie themselves into knots and then turns them green. No, no. First, I will face the jaws of the snake. So, Leonard took that piece also. Chapter 29 The Trial of the Gods Juana had scarcely restored the remainder of her deadly medicine to its hiding place when the curtains were drawn and Nam entered. After his customary salutations, which on this occasion were more copious than usual, he remarked blandly that the moon had risen in a clear sky. "'Which means, I suppose, that it is time for us to start,' said Leonard gruffly. Then they set out, Juana in her monk-like robe and Otter in his red fringe and a goatskin cape, which he insisted upon wearing. "'I may as well die warm as cold, Bas,' he explained, "'for of cold I shall know enough when I am dead.' At the palace gate, Olfan and a guard were waiting, but they found no opportunity of speaking with him. Here also were gathered a great number of priests, who preceded and followed them. The procession being formed, they were led solemnly to a different gate of the temple from that by which they had entered it on their previous visits. On this occasion, the secret passages were avoided, and they passed up a broad avenue through the center of the amphitheater to seats that had been prepared for them on that side of the pool which was furthest from the colossal idol. As before, the temple was crowded with human beings, and their advance through it was very impressive, for the priests chanted as they walked, while the multitude preserved an ominous silence. At first, Leonard was at a loss to know why they were placed on the hither side of the pool, but presently he saw the reason. In front of the chairs to be occupied by Juana and Otter, an open space of rock was left, 
semicircular in shape, on which were set other seats to the number of thirty or more. These seats were allotted to elders of the people, who, as Leonard guessed rightly, had been chosen to act as their judges. The position was selected for the convenience of these elders, and in order that the words they spoke might be heard by a larger proportion of their vast audience. When Juana and Otter were seated, and Leonard and Francisco had taken their places from them, Nam came forward to address the council and the multitude beyond. "'Elders of the people of the mist,' he said, "'I have conveyed your wishes to the holy gods, who but lately have deigned to put on the flesh of men to visit us, their people, namely, that they should meet you here and talk with you of the trouble which has come upon the land.' And now the gracious gods have assented to your wish, and behold, they are face to face with you, and with this great company of their children. Be pleased, therefore, to make known what you desire to the gods, that they may answer you, either with their own mouths or by the voice of me, their servant. He ceased, and after a pause, during which the people murmured angrily, an elder rose and said, "'We would know of you how it is, O Akka and O Jal, "'that the summer has deserted the land. "'Now our strait is very sorry, "'for famine will come upon us with the winter snows. "'A while ago, O Akka and O Jal, "'you changed the worship of this people, "'forbidding the victims who had been prepared "'to be offered up at the spring festival. "'And, lo, there has been no spring!' Therefore we ask a word of you on this matter, for the people have consulted together, and say by our voice that they will have no gods who kill the spring. Speak, O ye gods, and you, Nam, speak also, for we would learn the reason of these evils, and from you, O Nam, we would learn how it comes that you have proclaimed gods in the land whose breath has destroyed the sunshine. Ye ask me, O people of the mist, answered Juana. Why it is that the winter stretches out his hand over the slumber of the spring, forbidding her to awake, and I will answer you in a few words and short. It is because of your disobedience and the hardness of your hearts, O ye rebellious children. Did ye not do sacrifice when we forbade you to take the blood of men? Ay, and have not our servants been stolen secretly away and put to death, to satisfy your lust for slaughter? It is for this reason, because of your disobedience, that the heavens have grown hard as your own hearts, and will not bless you with their sunshine and their gentle rain. I have answered you. Then again the spokesman of the elders rose and said, We have heard your words, O Akka, and they are words of little comfort. For to sacrifice is the custom of the land, and hitherto no evil has befallen us because of that ancient custom. Yet if there has been offense, it is not we who have offended, but rather the priests, in whose hands these matters lie. And as for your servants, we know nothing of them or of their fate. Now, Nam, make answer to the charges of the gods, and to the questions of the people. For you are the chief of their servants, and you have proclaimed them to be true gods, and set them over us to rule them. Thus adjured, Nam stood forward, and his mien was humble and anxious, for he saw well that his accusers were not to be trifled with, and that his life, or at least his power, was at stake, together with those of the gods.
children of the mist, he began, your words are sharp. Yet I do not complain of them, for as ye shall learn, my fault has been grievous. Truly I am the chief of the servants of the gods, and I am also the servant of the people. And now it would seem that I have betrayed both gods and people, though not of my own will. Listen, ye know the legend that has come down to us that Akka and Jal should reappear in the land, wearing the shape of a fair white maiden, and of a black dwarf. Ye know also how they came as had been promised, and how I showed them to you here in this temple, and ye accepted them. Ye remember that then they put away the ancient law and forbade the sacrifices, and by the hand of their servant who is named Deliverer, they destroyed two of the priests, my brethren, in a strange and terrible fashion. Then I murmured, though they threatened me with death. But ye overruled my words and accepted the new law, and from that hour all things have gone ill. Now I took counsel with my heart, for it seemed wonderful to me that the gods should discard their ancient worship, and I said to my heart, Can these be true gods, or have I perchance been duped? Thenceforward I held my peace and set myself to watch. And now, after much watching, alas, I must say it to my shame, I have discovered that they are no true gods, but wicked liars who have sought to usurp the places of the gods. He paused, and a roar of rage and astonishment went up from the assembled thousands. It has come at last, whispered Leonard into Juana's ear. Yes, it has come she answered. Well, I expected it, and now we must face it out. When the tumult had subsided, the spokesman of the elders addressed Nam, saying, These are heavy words, O Nam, and having uttered them, you must prove them, for until they are proved, we will not readily believe that there are human beings so wicked that they dare to name themselves as gods. When you proclaimed these strangers to be Akka and Jal, we accepted them, perhaps too easily, and after too short a search. Now you denounce them as liars, but we will not disclaim them whom we have once received, till we are sure that there is no room for error. It may chance, Nam, that it would please you well to cast aside those gods who have threatened you with death and do not love you. I should be bold indeed, answered Nam. If I dared to speak as I have spoken, lacking testimony to establish a charge so dreadful as that which I bring against these wanderers, nor should I seek to publish my own shame and folly, were I not forced thereto by knowledge that did I conceal it, it would make me a partner of their crime. Listen, this is the tale of those whom we have worshipped. The fair woman, as she told us herself, is named Shepherdess of the Heavens, and she is the wife of the white man who is named Deliverer. And the dwarf, dweller in the waters, is their servant, together with the second white man and the others. Dwelling in a far country, these men and women chanced to learn the story of our people, how I shall show you presently and also that we find in the earth and use in the ceremonies of our temple 
certain red and blue stones which among the white people are of priceless value. These they determined to steal, being adventurers who seek after wealth. To this end the shepherdess learned our language. Also she learned how to play the part of Akka. Well, the dwarf, dog that he is, dared to take the holy name of Chal. I will be short. They accomplished their journey, and the rest you know. But as it happened, none of the stones they covet have come into their hands, except that gem which the shepherdess wears on her forehead, and this she brought with her. Now, people of the mist, when doubts of these gods had entered into me, I made a plan. I set spies to watch them in the palace yonder, those spies being the wife who was given to the dwarf and her handmaidens. Also I caused their black servants to be seized and thrown to the snake one or two of them at a time, for of this I was sure, that if they had the power they would protect their servants. But as the snake knows, those men were not protected." Meanwhile, reports came to me from the women, and more specially from Saga, the granddaughter of my brother, who was given as a bride to Jal. And this was their report, that the dwarf behaved himself like a cur of low birth, and that when he was in liquor, which was often, he babbled of his doings with the deliverer in other lands. Though all he said they could not tell me, because even now he has little knowledge of our tongue." When these tales came to my ears, you may guess, O people of the mist, that if I had doubted before, now my heart was shaken, and yet I had no proof. In my darkness I prayed to the gods for light, and lo, light came. Among the followers of these wanderers was a woman, and but yesterday this woman visited me and confessed all. Forty years ago she had fled from our people. I know not why, but she took with her a knowledge of our secrets. It was she who told them of the gods and the story of the gods, and she instructed them how they should deceive us and win the red stones which they desired. But now her heart repents of her of the evil, and I will summon her before you that ye may judge between me and these liars who have brought me to this shame." Bring forth the woman. There was a silence, and so intense was the interest that no sound came from the audience, which watched for the appearance of the witness. Presently, Soa advanced from the shadows at the foot of the Colossus, and, escorted by two priests, took her stand in the center of the semicircle of judges. Speak, woman, said Nam. Then Soa spoke. I am of the people of the mist, she said. As you may know by looking on me and hearing me, I was the daughter of a priest, and forty years ago, when I was young and fair, I fled this land for my own reasons and traveled south for three months' journey till I came to a village on a mighty river, where I dwelt for twenty years, earning a livelihood as a doctress of medicine. Then there came to that village a white man, whose wife gave birth to a daughter and died. I became the nurse of that daughter. She is the woman who sits before you, and her name is Shepherdess. 
Twenty years more went by, and I desired to return to my own land, that I might die among my people. I told the tale of my land and its wealth to the shepherdess and to her husband, the deliverer, for I dared not travel alone. Therefore, in my wickedness, I showed them how they might feign to be gods of the people of the mist, come back according to the legend, for I saw that the dwarf, the deliverer's servant, was shaped like to the shape of the statue of Jal who sits in stone above you. Being greedy, they fell into the plan, for above all things they desired to win the precious stones. But when we were come hither, the true gods visited me in a dream, so that my heart was troubled because of the evil which I had done. And yesterday I escaped to Nam and told him all the tale which you have heard. That is the story, people of the mist, and now I pray your mercy and your pardon. So I ceased, and Leonard, who had been watching the multitude, whispered to Juana, Speak quickly if you can think of anything to say. They are silent now because of their astonishment. But in another minute they will break out, and then... People of the mist, cried Juana, taking the hint. You have heard the words of Nam and the words of her who was my servant. They dare to tell you that we are no gods. So be it. On this matter we will not reason with you, for can the gods descend to prove their godhead? We will not reason. But I will say this in warning, put us away if you wish, and it may well chance that we shall suffer ourselves to be put away, since the gods do not desire to rule over those who reject them, but would choose rather to return to their own place. Yet for you it shall be a sad and an unlucky day when ye lift a hand against our majesty, for in going we will leave you that by which we shall be remembered." Aye, we will bequeath to you three things, famine and pestilence and civil war, which shall rage among you and destroy you till ye are no more a people. Ye have suffered our servants to be murdered and disobeyed our commands, and it is for that reason, as I have told you, that the sun shines no more and the summer will not come. Complete your wickedness, if ye will, and let the gods follow by the path that their servants trod. Then, people of the mist, ye shall reap as ye have sown, and death and desolation shall be your harvest. Now for that base slave who has borne false witness against us. Among the many things she has told you, one thing she has left untold that she is daughter to Nam the priest, that she fled the land because she was chosen bride to the snake, and is therefore an apostate worthy of death. One word also as to Nam her father. If his tale be true, then he himself is condemned by it, for doubtless he knew all at the beginning from the lips of his daughter Soa. Yes, knowing the truth, he dared to set up gods in the land, whom he believed to be false, trusting thereby to increase his own power and glory, and when these failed him because of his wickedness, then he did not scruple to cry aloud his shame. I have spoken, people of the mist. Now judge between us and let fate follow judgment, for we renounce you. 
She ended, her face alight with anger and her eyes flashing with excitement, and so great was the power of her eloquence and beauty that it seemed to throw a spell of silence over the hearts of her fierce and turbulent audience, while Soa slunk back into the shadow, and Nam cowered visibly. "'It is false, O people!' he cried in a voice that trembled with rage and fear. "'My daughter told me the tale for the first time at dawn today!' His words awoke the audience, as it were, and instantly there was a babel of sounds that rent the sky. His daughter! He says that she is his daughter! Nam owns his crimes! yelled some. Away with the false gods! shouted others. Touch them not! They are true gods and will bring a curse upon us! answered a third party, among whom Leonard recognized the voice of Ulfan. And so the clamor went on. For full ten minutes it raged, till the exhaustion of those that made it brought it to its end, and Juana, who all this while sat silent as some lovely marble statue, became aware that the spokesman of the elders was once more addressing the multitude. "'People of the mist,' he said, "'hold your peace and hearken to me. We have been chosen judges of this matter, and now, having consulted together,' We will give thee judgment, and you shall be bound by it. As to whether these strangers who are named Akka and Jal are true gods or false, we say no word. But if they are false gods, then surely Nam is guilty with them. Here a shout of assent burst from the audience, and Leonard, watching the high priest, saw him tremble. Yet, he went on, they have told us by the mouth of her who sits before you, that it is because of our offenses that the sun has ceased to shine at their command. Therefore, at their command, it can be made to shine. Then let them give us a sign, or let them die, if indeed they are mortal. For if they are not mortal, we cannot kill them. And this shall be the sign which they must give. If tomorrow at the dawn the mists have vanished and the sun shines red and clear on the snows of yonder mountain, then it is well, and we will worship them. But if the morning is cold and mist-laden, then, true gods or false, we will hurl them from the head of the statue into the pit of the snake, there to be dealt with by the snake or to deal with him as it may chance. That is our judgment, people of the mist, and Nam shall carry it out if need be, for he shall keep his power and his place until all these wonders are made clear, and then himself he shall be judged according to their issue. Now the great mass of the people cried aloud that this was a wise and just saying, but others were silent, for though they did not agree with it, they dared not dispute the sentence. Then Juana rose and said, We have heard your words and we will withdraw to consider them, and by dawn ye shall see us seated on the black one yonder. But whether we cause the sun to shine, or choose to pass to our own place by the path of boiling waters, we do not know, though it seems to me that the last thing is better than the first, for we weary of your company, people of the mist, and it is not fitting that we should bless you longer with our presence. Nevertheless, should we choose that path, those evils which I have foretold shall fall upon you. O Fun, lead us hence. 
the king stepped forward with his guards, and the procession passed back toward the palace solemnly and in silence, for none attempted to bar their way. They reached it safely at exactly ten o'clock by Leonard's watch. Now let us eat and drink, said Leonard when they stood alone in the throne room, for we shall need all our strength tonight. Yes, answered Juana with a sad smile. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Okay. Was anyone else as surprised as I was at how quick-witted Juana was? I know I mentioned that before we started listening, but wow, she just had one snappy comeback right after another. She was taking it to Nam and those elders. She's always been pretty good with a comeback, but this was exceptional, I have to say. And I especially liked the bit at the end where she was like, well, Maybe it would be better to have you kill us than to hang around with a bunch of losers who don't even know what God to worship. So no matter what, she's going to leave people with some kind of doubt if they die. I just thought that was great. I also really loved Ulthan and his heartfelt disillusionment over not being able to get Juana for his very own. He's super logical obviously good leadership material. He's able to see past this to the reasons that Juana advanced to him. But, you know, you kind of had to feel sorry for him. Everyone says how beautiful she is. We can all see how nice she can be. Although, temper, temper, right? I'm thinking, here they are, gonna die, and Leonard's going, oh, wow, that, that was super great of you to be so vulnerable and open about loving me. And she's like, well, don't start thinking you're all that. And I'm just going, really? You guys are going to die. You're pretty sure of this, right? So just let it go, man. Pride is not the point here. We can see things are definitely moving fast now. And I almost read another chapter because I thought, man, it's been so long since I've read to you guys. But I wanted to get something out. And if I stopped to read some more, this wasn't going to get out for several more days. That's for sure. Now, in other news, I did want to mention if you go to SFF Audio, my conversation with all that gang over there about The Last Policeman by Ben Winters is up and running. It is such a great book. And I guess... Boy, we talked about this a little while ago. It's been delayed in getting up. I don't think we actually talk about who did the crime, but they don't worry about spoilers there. They assume if you're listening, you've read the book. So if you're interested, definitely get the book and then go listen. And that's all the extra news I have right now. You know, what with being gone and then slogging back into the routine and then having the 4th of July come up. So it was three-day weekend. Except it just gave me more excuses to put things off, <laughs> which is why this is later than it should be. However, we had a wonderful time. It was a two day drive there and a two day drive back. We listened to all kinds of audiobooks and had some great conversation that we just wouldn't have had without all that time on our hands. That's one of the things about these days. We all lament, of course, how fast things move, 
But part of it is that we ourselves don't just put ourselves in a spot where we are forced to spend a lot of time doing something like that. You have to be patient and really not even patient in terms of, I'll just wait for this to happen, but just, you know, let yourself get bored. Let yourself have two days to do something. Go a little slower and you might be surprised at what kind of naturally comes out of it that isn't going to come from that fast movement. Of course, it's not as if I haven't said all this to you before, but what the heck? One more time can't hurt, right? So anyway, we got to Melbourne, Florida, which is where my mom lives, and it was so great to see her and spend several days with her. One day we took her out to our hotel, and this was great because the Radisson is just one suite thick. So every room, essentially, has a view onto the beach, and we could sit out there and watch the pelicans fly by at eye level since we were on the 15th floor, and the dolphins would be rolling around in the morning through the bay, crunching up fish, I assume. They were mostly underwater. Just all that kind of stuff. And when we took Mom, we were able to get a patio spot on the second floor that she could get to with her walker. She hadn't been out to the ocean in so long. This was the greatest idea of my sister's. I wouldn't have thought of it. And we sat there under an umbrella and had cocktails and just had a great time. And again, this is the thing of spending time that you don't think you'll spend. Because people kept trying to think of, what will you do while you're here? You could go see this. You can go see that. And we kept saying, no, we're really just going to go to see mom and, you know, everybody else. But we're just going to hang out with her. And if it's four days of hanging around her place, that's cool. That's when you have all those conversations. And so we did a significant amount of that, but going out to the beach was just enough to add, you know, a little change of scenery, but more hanging out. Because then we went up to the room after a couple hours of that, we were warm enough and hung out for another two or three hours before it was time to meet everybody for dinner. So we just got some great time and it was quality time because it was quantity time went to some great restaurants, just had fun. And then when we went to St. Augustine to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary, Tom had found this bed and breakfast. It's called the Inn on Charlotte, which was an old house, of course, that has been restored. It was obviously in the old town. It was a half block at most from the fort, and it was only one street back from the bay. So it was obviously there from the beginning at least from the beginning of when they had houses outside the fort, which was from fairly early on. And we had a room that was on the second floor in the front so we could have access to the balcony. And this was a huge old balcony. And both of the rooms in the front went out onto the same balcony, but they had put these giant potted plants down the middle. So you could see other people were there, but it wasn't intrusive at all. And each side had this wonderful fast-running fan and Adirondack chairs and tables to sit things on. And so we did some sightseeing. There's some wonderful old buildings there and, of course, the fort and that sort of thing. But St. Augustine isn't really known for having a ton of tourist destinations. You just have to appreciate the fact that you're in the oldest city, for sure, in the United States anyway. I'm not positive about Canada and Mexico and all that kind of thing. So... A significant amount of time was spent on that porch, reading and just watching people walk by. A cocktail or two did not go amiss late in the afternoon. 
And it was pleasant, actually. And now that I think about it, of course, this goes with this theme where y'all are going, really, you've told us twice in, uh, what, two minutes? But it's just now occurring to me, a great part of the pleasure was we never let ourselves just sit and enjoy someplace when we're there like that. We go see all the stuff. We walk around, we take tours, we do whatever. And this was kind of nice not to have all that stuff to go see. And in fact, even on the way back, we stopped somewhere in Mississippi because, oh my gosh, on the way out, we did not think about the influence that the beach has on traveling that kind of a route through the southern U.S. And the first night we were traveling, we said, oh, we'll just stop in at this Holiday Inn Express and we'll get a room and we'll get something to eat. And they're like, no, we're full. And Tom said they were turning away three or four people at a time. And finally, he found somewhere on the iPad that was an hour and a half away, and they had two rooms left, and he quickly reserved one online, and by the time he was done, the other one was gone. So we felt super lucky to only be driving until 10.30 to this place that was packed to the gills. And so on the way back, he thought, you know, we're not going to be stopping near the beach, but let's just do it ahead of time. Good thing. The place we stopped only had three rooms, and he managed to get one, and this was two days ahead. And because it was right on the highway, and there wasn't even really anywhere to eat except maybe a drive-in that was next to it, we went into town and got down-home Mississippi barbecue. And it was really down-home. It was next to a college, but everybody had the most wonderful southern accents and it was y'all want to sit over here yes ma'am yes sir it was great so that was fun too just exploring the local countryside because we were thrown on the resources of this tiny town well as you can tell i had a wonderful time i'm glad to be back glad to be exploring africa with you again or at least the country of the people of the mist But it was so great to go on vacation. And I think that's part of why it took me so long to get back to this. I enjoyed the vacation so much. I really didn't want to come home. And I don't usually feel that way. At the end of 10 days, I'm usually ready to be home, get back in the routine. Not this time. I just feel really lazy. Well, okay, I feel lazy a lot of the time. But I feel extra lazy right now. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I hope you're having a great summer. Whether you're feeling lazy or energetic, whether you're on vacation or hanging out at home. And if you want to let me know about what you're doing or have comments on our vacation or this story, you can contact me at julie at glyphnet.com. That's G-L-Y-P-H-N-E-T dot com. The blog for the podcast is at hcforgottenclassics.blogspot.com. And, of course, you can always find me on iTunes. Typing in Forgotten Classics, I pop right to the top. Reviews there are always fun. And, of course, help other people see me that wouldn't normally see me. So I'd appreciate it if you feel like it. And other than that, we know the thing I appreciate is you coming by to listen. Because otherwise I wouldn't be reading this out loud and I have the best time doing it. I know I say it every time, but it's true every time. So thank you very much for coming by. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.